Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Catherine Elliott is the alcohol mindset coach, and boy, does she have a story. She specializes now in one-on-one programs to help professional women and men address and change their relationship with alcohol, particularly those who identify as binge drinkers. But her personal story of sobriety is really full on. She quit drinking after her team won the grand final. And yes, she is an AFL sports nut. So not only has Catherine Elliott managed to sit down and watch sport sober six weeks after her decision to quit drinking, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She is a true survivor and her story is incredibly inspiring. Please enjoy Last Drinks with Catherine Elliott. Tell me about your last drink. When did you have your last drink? Uh, Interestingly, I didn't know it would necessarily be my last drink ever. Maybe it's not, who knows. But the last drink that I had was the 30th of June 2019. And I remember it very clearly because I was about to embark on uh, a period of not drinking uh, and I had no set end date on what that would look like. I decided that I had looked at a lot of ways to moderate my drinking over the years and that hadn't worked and that I just needed to embrace a new mindset around my drinking, which was step into an extended period of time uh, and see what uh, an alcohol-free lifestyle feels like. And so I had my last drink on the 30th of June. I was at home with my family. I was, I'm, I'm an, a kind of an avid AFL football supporter. <laughs> I was watching my team uh, Carlton play Fremantle. They were playing over in Perth and um, it was an extremely close match and I was drinking a bottle of red, I think. I drank a bottle of red to myself And as the game got more and more tense, I continued to drink more and more and I decided to open another bottle of wine. Because that helps the team. Of course, of course, and it helps numb the really uncomfortable emotion of dealing with a really tight game. And so (laughs) I had another half a bottle of wine and it was it's so funny. What I remember about that game is, A, how much I drank Mm. and, two, my emotional response to what was going on in the game. So there were two minutes to go in the game and in that two minutes I experienced absolute lows and highs because 
Fremantle kicked a goal within the two minutes to get in front of Carlton and it looked like they were going to win. And I immediately started getting teary, right, about it because I was upset and I was emotional. Yeah. And here I am, 46 years old, crying over a football match. But, yes, it's emotional. But this, again, was also, you know, no emotional regulation because of the drinking. But yeah. then 15 seconds before the match closed out, Mark Murphy kicked a goal and Carlton won the match. And, of course, then there was the exhilaration for me. And I, you know, went over the top and whatever. And then I remember waking up the next morning uh, with a very, very dry mouth, bit of a headache, but I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad that I'm now going to have a period of not waking up feeling, it wasn't like I was feeling ashamed or I'd done anything necessarily that I was embarrassed about, which is part of my story, but it was just that feeling of I drunk too much again and wasn't feeling my best when I woke up and that was the last drink that I had. First of all, points for passion. Anyone that's passionate about something, I just love, whatever it is. So I just love with such articulation and detail you can recall your last drink because it's paralleled with something that you are really passionate about. I think that that's awesome. What I want to know, Catherine, is if that wasn't going to be because you had said this is going to be my last drink for a little while, maybe a long while, who knows, but I'm having some time off. If you hadn't have said that, would you have known how much you had drunk because you it was on your mind that this was the last drink that you're having for a while and usually maybe not every game of AFL that you watch but you were consuming that much alcohol but it wasn't the forefront of your mind because you weren't thinking about it. Yes, definitely in hindsight because I feel like I made a note of it. I made a note of it at the time and then the next day. And then ever since, I've really reflected back on that particular last drink. Um, and it is memorable for me because I did do a lot of drinking, watching sport yeah, and going to sport and being at sport. And so it's kind of, yeah, really interesting that that's when I had my last drink because as I've gone into my sober life, one of the environments that I thought was going to be quite triggering for me was watching sport and going to mm -hmm. sport. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, it's really interesting to have that reminder of, you know what, I, I, I look back and I didn't feel great really. I really wasn't present in the moments of the game really. Mm. Um, and now I really love watching sport live sober. It's just the best. It's so interesting because Australians are such a sporty nation. Um, we pride ourselves on sport. We're excellent at sport. We crush it in the com games. Like we're one of the better sporting nations and it, it, it goes hand in hand with booze consumption. And I, you know, it's just you go to the footing, you have a beer. It's just what you do. You win the Australian Open, you drink beer out of a shoe it's just what we do and it's not until recently that I think these behaviors have been questioned and people are starting to go well hang on a second 
does sporting and drinking have to go hand in hand? Can can we separate the two? Can we create a culture of sportsmanship that doesn't surround itself with the toxicity of alcohol consumption? You've done that jump over that bridge from sport booze hand in hand to sober and watching sport and thoroughly enjoying it. So that switch, did it take a while for you to enjoy watching or partaking in sports sober? Well, interestingly, you know, I had my last drink, I guess, you know, June 2019. And then my story gets really interesting because six weeks into um, that choice, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I was then going through a whole lot of life-changing questions about my mortality and, and drinking and trauma. And then COVID came six months later. So my whole life in the last few years really went on quite a different, um, you know, a different tangent. And being in Melbourne in the most lockdown city in the oh world, we couldn't really go to sporting events live. So all of my life started, I had this major personal crisis uh, that, that happened and then more of a global one you know I got my pretty much got the all clear uh with my uh breast cancer kind of results uh in February 2020 but I still had to go through quite a bit of treatment after that to kind of you know finish it all up and I had to have surgery in the March um and that was really when COVID hit so I never really got a chance to get back into a normal-ish life mm. until this year, to be honest. Wow. Uh, so I didn't – I wasn't able to go to games. Uh, at, I mean, I did watch games on, t- on TV, but it was slightly different because what I have noticed since getting back to the football more regularly this year is how, uh, how much drinking there is at football games and mm. not just – a little bit of drinking, a lot of drinking, yeah. all around, all around. Yeah. And um, also how difficult it is for me to get an alcohol-free beer or a, something like that. I mean, I can get a mineral water, but I, I, I think the, the MCG, for instance, just do not cater to someone who wants to fly under the radar and have an alcohol-free beer. And so I'm really keen to do some advocacy work in this area, um, particularly during dry July. I was at the MCG and I could not find myself an alcohol-free beer and mm. it was it was difficult and I just think, why not, why not, why can't we? Um, this is something that our, you know, our, our football clubs and the, 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 the sporting stadiums and the caterers, they should be helping people to be able to make this choice if they want to. Even if you're not leading an alcohol-free lifestyle, you may not want to have a drink and you might just not want to have to talk about why you're not drinking. Because we're such a great sporting nation and we love sport, I see it as the biggest opportunity for us to be progressive for once in something and lead the charge and put this on the agenda of, you know, the the companies that are backing the stadiums and the people who are booking the advertising spots 
and let's make it sober friendly. Let's put that in the forefront of sporting culture where sober sobriety and sporting go hand in hand and that becomes the new norm. And because we love our sport so much, I think that we we can turn that ferry around um, faster in a way because it, I feel, you know, there's that whole Malcolm Gladwell tipping point thing. Sobriety is just another, it's another thing where once that tipping point starts, people are going to start getting on the sobriety bandwagon, not because it's a bandwagon, because it's genuinely better for you. I have not spoken to one person yet, Catherine, who has told me that sobriety was a bad idea or that their life got worse when they quit drinking. (laughs) Now, I want to talk to you about your breast cancer journey God, that's huge. And you do hear these really wild statistics that drinking alcohol increases your chances of cancer by a phenomenal amount and drinking is associated with at least 11 types of different cancers that we know of. I feel like this information is buried. I feel like this information is not highly publicised and I'm not entirely sure why because if it's factual... We need to get the communication out there so people can make educated choices for their health. So going through a cancer journey, did you do any sort of research or did you have any conversations with doctors about the links between alcohol consumption and breast cancer specifically or cancer in general? Uh, Yeah, really great points that you make them as uh, no I didn't have really conversations with my doctors and no one brought it to my attention really at all um, around alcohol consumption and breast cancer risk I intuitively knew that my I guess the lifestyle factor of alcohol and drinking in my life had been one that I had not been very comfortable with so I started to do a lot of my own research because intuitively I felt like maybe it had, it had contributed to uh, my breast cancer diagnosis because I didn't have a family history of breast cancer. I, I I was young, really. Anyone under, you know, 50 is young to be diagnosed with breast cancer, which was me. I was diagnosed just before I turned 47. And um, so, yeah, I, I just thought, I felt really compelled to start to dig in and and do some research. And what I found, I was really, I I guess, shocked by in that I thought, why have I not seen this information before? Why have I not seen a really big public health campaign on breast cancer, alcohol consumption, increased, you know, risk? Why, Why is this not evident? Why is my GP not talking to me about this? Why my oncologist not talking to me about this more and so these were the questions that came up for me and um, I had a a type of breast cancer that is uh, I guess hormone receptor positive which means that the hormones were um, contributing to the risk of 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 the growth of the cancer and um, alcohol increases the circulating estrogen in our system which can contribute to breast cancer so for me and you know it might sound strange I kind of felt this sense of relief that a lifestyle factor that I had been abusing 
and not managing well for 30 plus years of my life, I had finally made an empowering decision to change. That even though I had the breast cancer diagnosis, I was in a much better place, continuing to choose not to drink and to educate myself around alcohol and breast cancer. And that if I was, you know, changing this 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 lifestyle factor in my life, that I felt empowered that I was helping myself to protect myself uh, to heal and get and, and get well, but also moving forward into life after cancer that um, I would be, you know, protecting myself um, and looking after my health as well as well as I could. And so for me, it felt really, I get, yeah, as I said, really empowering to have the information and knowledge and also, you know, I, I, I'm making it, um, I guess, part of my work to get out there and talk about this, which is why I, you know, do podcast interviews, which is why I'm working with the Breast Cancer Network of Australia, which is why I volunteer and talk to other women who have breast cancer so that I can talk to them about my experience and about uh, the fact that every drink you have increases your breast cancer risk. If you're a woman, that is it um, and it's not it, it it's it you know it, it's just seven drinks a week which to a lot of people that's just one drink a day that can increase your overall risk of breast cancer by you know 14 15 up to 20 percent depending on the studies that you look you look at so this information is shocking to a lot of people and even through my conversations with other women friends and family they really have no idea about this 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 link so I think we've all got a responsibility to start to get this information out into the public domain and to continue to to do that and for some reason there is a little bit of pushback around um, particularly sometimes in the breast cancer community I find because there's an attitude of we don't want to make people feel guilty about their drinking and you know life's hard enough when you have breast cancer and you know you need a drink to do you know to relieve a bit of stress and all of this and you know my response to that is you know what we all are responsible in our own lives and make our own decisions and that is absolutely okay but I think as you mentioned before it is so important that we have access to what is the scientifically proven studies and statistics and so as long as that's there in the public domain and that 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 women you know and men some men also get breast cancer have access to this information then we can make educated decisions around our own health which is really where we want to be at it's so bizarre to me when the the evidence is there, the research studies are there, you know, these are peer-reviewed research studies that are published in medical journals. This this is like factual, scientific, like it's, it's rock solid. Yet somehow we, like I said before, it feels like this information is buried. And I do find it so interesting, the narrative, as a consumer of mainstream media and someone who works in the broadcast space, I'm across all of the headlines very often. It's part of my job to be across the headlines. And this narrative really pisses me off 
when I see a study research result publication and it'll say something like, um, study reveals that alcohol is not good for anybody under 40 and could this day get any worse? And it's like this undertone of like, why are you ruining all our fun? And my response is, no, guys, this is good news. Because if we know that you're consuming something that might kill you, is it not better to know that it might kill you? So you've got the heads up on how to safeguard yourself against this thing. And this narrative of like, well, you're ruining all of our fun and can't we even just have a drink at the end of the day? Well, you can have a drink at the end of the day, but you need to know that it's going to increase your risk of this cancer, of this disease, of of so many negative um, effects. So if you're willing to park all of that, knowing all of that and still have your vodka at the end of the night, have a vodka with a twist of cancer because that's what it's going to be. But we don't like saying that because people get really upset by that. And I'm like, but it's the truth. And so I'm just constantly like banging my head against the brick wall when I see all, I see so many like female friendly wellness websites spruiking that booze you know what, babe, you've got a crazy toddler, so you deserve a glass of wine at the end of the night. And I'm like, no, you deserve to live a full life and be a parent to that child in their later years because you're still around. And it's not, it's something that you can't sugarcoat. And and I feel like we don't like the truth because it's really confronting and scary. But I've got a friend going through stage four lymphoma and that is confronting. That is way scarier than anybody trying to quit drinking. Yeah, totally, totally. I completely hear what you're saying. It is if it, you know, there's this, there's this massive elephant in the room in Australian culture, right, that, that drinking and alcohol plays a role in every aspect it's become so normalised and that's why I, I get up and talk about my binge drinking and what that looked like because there are so many people who contact me after they hear my story and they say, oh, my gosh, that's me. Same, yes. You know what? I'm not a down-and-out alcoholic. No, I never identify as an alcoholic but I had an alcohol use disorder. Yeah. Binge drinking is an alcohol use disorder full stop. It's very highly problematic. It's incredibly dangerous to our short-term and long-term health. And for some reason in Australian culture, particularly when I was growing up Gen X in the 80s, we it was celebrated to, to binge drink every single weekend, every single weekend. And of yeah. course, you do this for five or 10 years. And Binge drinking is kind of like a social addiction. I found it incredibly hard to control my drinking when I was out, even when I wanted to, even when I knew that I I would black out, I wouldn't remember things, that I would have, you know, awful kind of conversations with people that I, I really regretted because mm. I wasn't presenting the my best self or the person I wanted to be. Yeah. And I think we excuse that behaviour as part of our cultural sort of fabric of who we are. 
And so I really want to start to dig into this whole binge drinking acceptance in Australian culture and try and um, knock it down because it's not acceptable. Uh, that behaviour isn't acceptable. And I still, you know, I'm about to turn 50 and I still go out to parties and people in their 50s and 60s are really, they're still binge drinking, they're still blacking out, they're still out of control drinking and have been for 30 years and it, it, it's it, it's not a good place to be. One thing that I think happens a lot and this was definitely like my reasoning to avoid admitting that there was a dependency going on in my life with alcohol is that I wasn't like the worst drunk in the room. <laughs> so I, you know what I mean? So I would, oh, no. I would go out and party and have fun and, and I was like, I was a good drunk in the sense that I was super fun. Like, I, you know what, I bought the fun, I was the light, everyone wanted to hang out with me because I would just carry on and it, would, it never got abusive, it was never like stupid but highly damaging and, um, and very forgetful at times. But I do remember there'd be the odd weekend where I'd, you know, settle up to work on the Monday and not really remember much but then neither would my friend. So yeah. I was like, well, at least I'm not. I wasn't as I wasn't as embarrassed. I didn't drop my hot chips all over the floor, did I? You know? Yeah, yeah, and we absolutely. do this thing where we're like, well, it's like the it's like how we compare our lives. That like showy Instagram, like my life's better than yours or how good is my life? It's like we do it with drinking where it's like, well, I'm not as bad as you, so that must make me a you know better able to manage this or not need to address it. And it's just interesting how we it's amazing what we can how we can lie to ourselves based on everyone else around us making poor choices doesn't mean that yours you know and this is why when I'm talking to people about this topic I say like let's forget about everyone else in the room and let's just talk about you and is it working for you because if you're blacking out if you if you're waking up hungover if you've got 3 a.m shame wake-ups and sweats you know, if you're vomiting in your purse in the taxi on the way home, if you don't remember getting home, I'm not saying all of these things to make anyone feel bad. I'm just asking the question. If you, if those are the behaviours, I don't feel like that's working for anyone. But it's up to the person to get to the point where they go, okay, maybe I need to, to shift my mindset, as you say. So for you, those behaviours were happening leading up to this 30th of June, I'm having a break for, for some time because it's just how we grow up? Yes. I, I actually think I had been concerned about my drinking probably since probably from my mid-20s, to be honest. I'd had that that nudging, you know, that nudging voice that was just questioning my my drinking um but it was really difficult for me because it had become part of my identity as I was growing up because I was again I was quite I could tolerate quite a lot of alcohol I used to used to get um a lot of you know complimentary behavior around the tolerance and the fact that I was a really good female drinker by the male friends that I had so again there's this kind of patriarchy type you know acknowledgement of this girl who could take on the boys with her drinking totally get what you mean it's like it's yeah it's like a compliment yeah 
It's actually not a compliment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I had nicknames around my drinking, like I was called, you know, the camel because I could store <laughs> The camel or the fish, you know, the fish who could drink a lot. But these, these were names that I, and I proudly saw this as, as part of my yeah. identity, right? Yeah, totally. So as I moved into my 20s, Everyone was always like, oh, Kathy, you'll come out for a drink. Oh, you ended up the last. And I was often the last to leave or go to bed. And even if I wanted to go to bed, I'd be like, oh, no, I've sort of got a responsibility to, you know, keep oh up God. with this identity. Uh, but the funny thing is that I-, I look at my drinking and then I look at, you know, the the deep values of the person who I am, who was always very you know, committed to being a really loyal and trustworthy friend who really liked exercising and being healthy and had an interest in in that side of her life. And alcohol was always undermining these intrinsic values of who I was. Mm. So I never felt, um, I, I always had this sense of self-worth that actually really didn't feel like it was there. I I know through my 20s and 30s, I went through a period of really questioning myself and not feeling good enough, not feeling like, you know, I deserve to be in a a happy or successful relationship. I started to doubt myself um, in my career. And I think my drinking had a huge amount to do with that. Um, And it wasn't until, I guess, uh, you know, I I got married and, and had children and I was still binging in and out but it changed I wasn't drinking nearly as much uh and even that you know that's also a really interesting concept oh because I'm only having you know six binges or four binges a year that means I don't have a problem Uh, so I would convince myself that oh no I'm okay I've gone a month two months three months off drinking Um, and really this contributes to what can be quite a punishing cycle um, emotionally for a you know a functioning binge drinker as well because they give themselves a pat on the back for holding off for not drinking for being good and then you know you let the shackles off and you end up back in that kind of really shameful embarrassed place again because unfortunately your body and your brain is so used to once it starts mm. drinking, you know, it, it just gets yeah. this 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 thirst for more and yeah. and then yeah, you're you're doing what you've always done. So uh it yeah, I tried many different versions of of moderation, of taking time away from alcohol. And I guess for me it didn't really become a reality that I had to yeah, just take away alcohol for a period of time and see how that felt um and I think the defining moment was for me was on a holiday a family holiday when yeah I had one of I had a, a binge I hadn't had one for a while and it happened in front of my three three sons who were my oldest was probably 13 at the time so 13 yeah. 11 and eight and they saw me in a state of yeah really I was really drunk. I was out of control, mm. blackout, hit my head. And that was when I, I think for me, that was 
what I would say was a moment where I really reflected and went, right, this this is this is the line in the sand. This is the time to change. I can't do this anymore. Did you talk to your kids about, I guess, your journey with alcohol? I mean, being being those really critical ages where, you know, they're boys, they're like heading into teenage land and they see you behaving in a particular way that I know as a parent you never want your kids to behave that way. And so did you have, was there conversation around, were you open with them about your journey? Yeah, very. Awesome. So, I mean, obviously I really apologised the next day, but I was very ashamed as well. And so, but I, I also took responsibility for it as well and said it's because I have an issue with, with my drinking and I'm going to look at it. And it it wasn't even until recently we're away um, and the boys brought it up, what happened. And they said, gosh, mum, you know, you used to, I don't know, they said something along the lines, oh, you used to get that look in your eye after you'd had a few drinks or something. We don't see that anymore. And oh, and they just remembered a few times of, you know, when they'd seen me drunk. Yeah. And for the first time I felt completely okay with it because I've done a lot of work on myself yeah. and I don't feel embarrassed about that anymore. It's part of who I am. It's part of my my story as a human and it's how I teach my kids. We're, none of us are perfect, you know. We're all learning throughout life. And Absolutely. So I'm now role modeling to them. Exactly. And you and you role modeled vulnerability and you role modeled accountability and you role modeled self-worth and you like in those moments, you know, them seeing you in that place is not great. But what what good has come of it? Because you have been able to have that last drink and journey through sobriety and they've seen that evolution of you into this person now who I dare say is the better version of yourself that they you know and there's knock-on benefits for the kids when mum's at her best right oh yeah absolutely absolutely I mean I mean the greatest gift that you know choosing an alcohol-free lifestyle has given to me is a much deeper connection to myself and that has been such a gift that keeps on giving because in that I make better choices for myself all the time the people I choose to spend time with the 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 things that I do in my life the clarity the creativity that I'm able to access now um these are all things that I was not aware of were going to be possible in an alcohol-free life, and this is what you know, this is what I say to my clients because um, I now work as an alcohol coach, is that you think it's just about the alcohol, and we place so much um, emphasis on the substance. But once once we kind of work through that, and the alcohol is playing less of a role, the ripple effect that that has on every aspect of your life is just insanely magical, really, and. Uh, until you start to experience the magic, which you do, um, you don't really know what's possible. And I, uh, for me, as you would know, Maz, it actually just keeps expanding and getting better oh. and better and better. I'm eight years in nearly and it's 
like it blows my mind year on year. I'm like, oh, and now this, oh, and now, and you don't, I don't even think about alcohol anymore. It's not even, but there was a time in my life where it's all I thought about. Every single thing I did, Mm. every decision I made in my life was centered around consuming or being around alcohol. And now, none of my choices involve alcohol or are centered around it. And and so that's a completely different way of living, but you can't experience it until you decide that you are going to really experience it. And it does become less about the alcohol, but at first it's really hard, especially in our culture where it's everywhere. It's after a good day. It's Friday night drinks with work colleagues. It's after a bad day. It's in every single, you know, turn of the clock, we use alcohol. And so when you first decide to not have alcohol, it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> but yeah. I think you, there are enough programs and coaches and, you know, tools like this podcast that are available now for people to get some really great tips on navigating those really challenging first few weeks slash months so can you give because I know you do this for a living um which what a beautiful gift as well I love giving out of sobriety that's the best (laughs) what would you say to someone who's listening who's like I want to stop but I don't even know how I'm going to get through a weekend I would even suggest that if you are interested in looking at your relationship with alcohol and changing your drinking habits, the place to start is not with stopping drinking. The place to start is by starting to empower yourself with knowledge and information first. So starting to read some books that give you some information about alcohol and its impact on our brain and our bodies. So, you know, one of the books that um, I started off with was This Naked Mind by Annie, Annie Grace. Grace. Who, Love her. That's who I did my coach training through. So I'm a certified amazing. Naked Mind coach. So, yeah. you know, she focuses all around kind of, you know, providing people with, with education and knowledge so that they change their emotional feeling about alcohol into something positively to positive to change their behavior so yeah that's great advice that it's really important to just go easy on yourself take the pressure off it's not a race we don't have to be anywhere at any point in time because if we're using willpower to stop drinking we're using deprivation we're using a muscle that will eventually let go and we'll be back to drinking so it's not it's the long game and the long game is about arming ourselves with information, but also, yes, listening to podcasts, listening to other people's stories. So listening to your podcast, Maz, and there's a couple of other Australians as well who do some great podcasts. Annie Grace does a wonderful podcast where she interviews people about their stories um, and what they found worked for them because the other thing that's really important is this is your experience There are similarities, but we are all unique and what works for some doesn't work for others. And the more people that you can listen to, the more information that you can gather, you can handpick the tools that work for you. Because I know some people love journaling, other people find it really frustrating. 
There's no you have to and there's no specific formula. But one of the things that I think is really important to mention, and I think I did a lot of work on this, is coming back to really, I guess it is a lot to do with your own self-belief and compassion for yourself because in a lot of this we have to let go of um, a lot of negative thought patterns around our own behaviour and our own drinking. Mm. And so there is a real piece to do on, on this and to con- to actually really congratulate ourselves for wanting to change because when we're awake, like awake and we know we want to change, that's a really painful place to be mm-hmm. um, until we actually start to take the steps to change. So if you feel that you have a problem with your drinking, don't don't ask too many other people for their opinions because you know you. This is what I say to clients because often they'll talk to friends and they go, oh, no, you don't have a problem. You're fine. I drink a lot more than you do or this sort of (laughs) stuff. And it's like, no. And Mm. that's the other thing I would say to people who are listening. If someone comes to you and says they have a problem, give them them a hug and say, that's so great that you've told me. What can I do to help and support you here? Um, And, yeah, so I I really think that um, it starts off with, yeah, arming yourself with with some new education, reading, listening to podcasts, and then just preparing a plan slowly but surely um, as to how you might reduce your drinking, start to build in some alcohol-free days if that's what you're wanting to do because everyone has a different intention with how they want to change their relationship with alcohol. I think that's awesome advice. Knowledge is power. And I think what I'll do in the show notes is I call it quit lit, quit quit literature so we might between us we'll brainstorm like the best quit lit and we'll put a little quit lit kind of checklist in the show notes so if people do want to you know start reading or trying to look for a book or an audio book or whatever they can start there um because that's yeah, I such love that idea yeah because the other thing is it's it's like that whole recommendation. You always take a recommendation from a friend, right? And um and so having some of our recommendations in there is just a a good place to start. And you, you might read one book and go, mm, and then you might read another and go, oh yes, like you know that dropped into my spirit and that feels right. And or this is the way that I want to approach this. So that is sound advice for for somebody who does this for a living. I expected it to be sound. thanks for listening to last drinks podcast if you love this podcast then subscribe for more inspiration and to reach out you can follow us on instagram at last drinks pod hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 